Change the Game. Proudly brought to you by the QCCS Mackay Cutters. Hi everyone, welcome to QCCS Mackay Cutters Change the Game podcast podcast. Today I'm joined by uh, Braden Smith. He is part of our Cutters uh, performance team. He looks after our rehab program and all the guys coming back from injury. And he also owns Integrated Bodies, which is uh, located in the showgrounds here at Mackay. And um, he helps athletes um, optimise their performance. Welcome, Braden. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge all the traditional owners of the land we're meeting on today, the uh, UE people of the Kulin Nation, and pay uh, my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Braden, today we're talking about the breath. Um, our title is Deep Breath or Take a Deep Breath, and we're going to talk more broadly about um, you know the benefits of um, concentrating and, and breathing properly you know we've both read uh, the book breathe by James Nestor which you know a lot of our context of what we'll talk about today will come from mm-hmm. um, explain to us a little bit about nose breathing um, more than breathing through the mouth yeah so I guess uh, if you've if you haven't been exposed to breath practice or breath control or anything really about breathing you just think oh just breathe what do you mean like it's it's one of those things I hear from everybody it's like I've been breathing my whole life and think I'm pretty good at it but how we breathe influences more than just getting air in and and getting CO2 out it allows us to control things like our state how we perform uh, and other systems in our bodies so Sometimes when we first bring up the conversation around breathing and like using your nose and your mouth, it's kind of, people kind of shrug it off as like... Mm, just natural. It's just, yeah, what do you mean? I just breathe. But how we breathe can influence a lot more than we think. And um, so if we consider just basic fundamentals of, of, of breathing physiology, I guess we have a couple of holes in our face that we can get air in and out of. Um, we have our nose. Noses are designed to breathe and mouths are designed to eat and talk. Uh, the difference between nose breathing and mouth breathing, I guess, is primarily our nose, I call it like a, it's like an air conditioner. So it's been designed through evolution to bring air into the body. And there's a, there's a few uh, interesting and, and key sort of things that happen when we do breathing through our nose. So it warms the air, it humidifies it, uh, it takes out a lot of the dust and a lot of the sort of potentially harmful sort of uh, airborne things that we can take into our body. It cleans it. Uh, the, the sinus itself produces nitric oxide, which is quite important. We'll probably touch on that a little bit later. And, um, and then from there, it kind of just prepares the air to then be ingested into the body or have that chemical reaction that goes into energy. Um, the nose itself also is a really good, um, I call it a regulator of carbon dioxide, which is something we'll discuss soon as well. Um, if we look at that, that compared to mouth breathing, you know, mouth breathing itself isn't particularly bad. It's just when do you want to use it? So it's just like a tool. It's just like a gear in a car. Like it's, it's there, but do we want to use it now or do we want to use it when we're training or how do we use it? Mouth breathing itself is, is primarily, I believe, used for maybe a, a really fast change in state. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of the... Um, the breathing styles like Wim Hof and holotropic breathing, they use a lot of heavy hyperventilation and mouth breathing to change mental states. Um, but mouth breathing itself doesn't have a filter. It doesn't heat or humidify or clean the air. It's just a big, big hole that gets air in and gets air out, mm-hmm. air in and, and CO2 out. So 
Um, mouth breathing itself is not bad, but it's just we tend to use it, overuse it, I think, as a society. And um, naturally, when I see it, like guys on the, on the paddock here, especially a lot of younger guys that maybe haven't been exposed to it, and, and you know, to be honest, a lot of people haven't been exposed to it, um, they, as soon as they start to train or start to move, they just sort of naturally pop into that, that mouth breathing sort of pattern. Okay, really interesting. So, um, take us through a little. Can you take us through a little exercise on some um, how how we can breathe more efficiently, yep. um, especially through our nose and. Either. Yeah. So I guess um, we all naturally start off breathing through our nose, unless we have been born with some sort of sinus um, restriction or whatnot. So the, I guess there's, and there's a lot of different types of methods out there and techniques for breathing, but ultimately I think if you, we reduce them all down to a couple key points or principles. The first one is just developing some awareness of like how you breathe. So generally, just being mindful of your breathing is, is the first tip I would give somebody. Really, if you're not eating or talking, you should be breathing through your nose, unless you're doing some intense exercise. Um, and that has different, we have different tools for that. So just developing that, that sense of just, uh, just a nasal breath. So just literally keep your mouth shut would be the first tip I would give people. And it sounds funny, but um, the best place to try and practice that is when you sleep. So quite often when I'll have somebody that will come into to the gym or into the clinic and we might be doing some sort of rehabilitation or we might be doing a bit of an assessment to understand what sort of niggles they have going on, I always will um, assess their breathing, mm-hmm. whether it's inadvertently or intentionally. Um, and because I have an eye for it and an ear for it, I'll... I'll as they come in, if I could hear them breathe, that's normally a bit of a sign of hyperventilation. If they have some certain um, physical traits like tightness around the diaphragm and the rib cage, and that also indicate different breathing patterns as well. So, yeah, breathing in and out through your nose as much as you can, day and night. Now, if you're unsure if you breathe through your nose at night, there's a couple of little things that you might try and recognise. So if you wake up with a bit of a dry mouth in the morning, if you don't wake up feeling refreshed, uh, if you have to get up to go to the toilet multiple times a night, if you have bad breath when you wake up, um, or you just feel generally unrested, uh, they're, they're signs of that you might necessarily be going into more of a parasympathetic state, which is more of that rest and digest state. And nasal breathing is directly linked to that parasympathetic state. So we could assume without testing that potentially we might be breathing through our nose the entire night. So when I first heard of this little tip, as this, this other little tip, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was like, there's no way I'm ever going to do this. But we tried it. My partner and I tried it. It's called mouth taping. And it's something that James Nessa talks about. And it's pretty big in the Buteco world as well. It's just a little bit of paper tape across the lips. You can go across or you can go down. And that encourages you to keep your mouth closed while you sleep. Mm. Now, I don't do it... Um, every night anymore because I'm a pretty good um, nasal breather when I sleep. Um, but in early days, I would put it on there and you'd be surprised how much you'd wake up trying to like trying to open your mouth. Mm. But you still should, when you, you know, do that, you know, explain that to people, mm. um, be able to like cough or yeah. Um, yeah. still be able to open your mouth. It's not fully taped yeah. shut. You're not, you're not wrapping it around. It's not a, it's, it sounds, it sounds kind of pretty weird and, and maybe people feel a little bit anxious when they hear it, but it's really just a, it's a little bit of a, a cue. Mm-hmm. It is, it's quite soft and the amount of times I've, I've woken up, I've put it on when I go to bed and wake up and it's not there anymore. It's like, 
or it's either in the, wrapped up in the sheet somewhere or, or you just take it off naturally. So it's just a little cue. Now, um, I would say like not everybody go out and do that straight away. Obviously, if you're, you're relatively a healthy sort of human being, I guess, so you don't have any uh, medical conditions, I'd probably say you'd be fine. Um, but if you were interested in getting, maybe obviously consult a GP. But it's uh, a way of going, getting into that that I also recommend is, especially for people that are doing maybe housework, just put a bit of paper tape on the lips when you're vacuuming or something and just get used to keeping your mouth closed. And then that's just a little gentle trigger to try and remind ourselves just to breathe in and out through our nose. Because if we are more habitual in mouth breathing, that's going to be our, our, our default. Yeah, it's the habit. Yeah. I like to do it in the car. So mm. um, as you're saying, like you, you practice it um, and consciously practicing it um, yeah. to make it become an unco- unconscious habit. Um, mm. The car is the one for me where I'm just consciously making sure I'm breathing through my nose. And yeah. Yeah, definitely it, it works and helps. Yeah, and it's, it's just trying to fit it in your day as well. Like you don't, for me, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a formal breath practice. Um, I don't sit there and, and meditate and, and go through, you know, Wim Hof or anything like that. Uh, my breath practice is making sure that I use my nose as much as I can when I train, especially when I'm doing aerobic work, um, going through a couple of gears, which we'll talk about, and just generally being more mindful. Um, if I have any aches and pains in my body, um, the first place I go will normally check is like my breath or my diaphragm and making sure that that's sort of not too tight or not uh, my, my breath hasn't sort of gone out of, out of control. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, from, from there I, I investigate further, but that's my I think breath practice and I think it's practical as well because I'll never say you have to sit down for 20 minutes a day three times a day and and do a certain exercise although you can and I have exercise that I prescribe I think it's generally being more mindful of it um, from day one and just trying to integrate it into your days quite often the best yeah it's a good starting point yeah uh, let's talk about anxiety and shallow mm. breathing um, yep. and how they are interlinked and um, and how ex- exhaling slowly can help you relax. So if we go back to understanding the nose versus the mouth, um, when people are habitual mouth breathers, what happens is they, they tend to get used to being in that state also mouth breathing we'll wind it back a bit so i mentioned nasal breathing is more of a parasympathetic state which is a rest and digest mouth breathing tends to be more sympathetic in nature sympathetic means fight fight or freeze the reason being is mouth breathing is linked to more upper chest breathing more sort of vertical breathing and when we do have a more of axial type of breathing pattern the breathing is quite shallow normally so what happens is our diaphragm, which is this muscle that actually helps draw our lungs down and helps us breathe in, it's wired directly to the brain, to the phrenic nerve. And it's kind of like a, it can be like a, a brain down or a body up kind of uh, relationship, mm. I believe. So let's just say if we have this habit of, of um, breathing through our mouth, we're taking a, more of a shallower breath. Uh, what's that, what happens is that the respiration rate naturally sits up a little bit higher. And as the respiration rate sits up a little bit higher, the brain says, hmm, well, I'm breathing a little bit faster. Or I'm taking this information in. It appears that I'm breathing a little bit faster. Maybe there's a threat around. Now, the, 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 uh, the amount that we breathe in and the frequency we breathe in can dictate that sympathetic response, that fight, fight or freeze. 
So if we're just naturally breathing a little bit shallower, even if it is through our mouth or, or partly through our nose, we're always just that little bit aware of our environment, a little bit sort of sympathetic or a little bit tense. And then we get used to um, that state. And then as we breathe in and out through our mouth, we tend to breathe out more CO2. Uh, we don't regulate that carbon dioxide very well. And then as we have a stressful trigger, uh, whether it be something that's work-related, exercise, could be you know someone cut us off in traffic, recognise that it is a bit of a threat, we're already kind of slightly elevated in that sympathetic tone. So it's easy for us to just go out and become a little bit more sympathetic, a little bit faster. Now the problem is um, that can snowball into something like anxiety or panic. So not all anxiety is... Um, Obviously, there's a lot of triggers for anxiety and panic and, and those type of disorders and, and diseases, but there's always going to be an element of breathing in partly within that. So as someone starts to breathe more, they, the brain gets a strong signal from the body saying, hey, we're, we've now got a legitimate threat going on. Get ready to run, fight, fight or freeze. And what happens is our respiration rate increases. The, the amount of volume of air we get in increases. But we also, the more we breathe in, the more carbon dioxide we breathe out. Now, the, the catch-22 is, is a really strong relationship between CO2 and O2. So the, we need to have a certain level of carbon dioxide in our blood to make sure that we actually can use the oxygen that we breathe in. Mm. When we breathe in and out too fast, we don't, use, we don't get the relationship from the oxygen molecule, the red blood cell, becomes a little bit stronger. So we aren't able to actually use the air that we get in. So that's that, that breathlessness feeling, that <laughs> and that, that snowballs out. And the, the more we breathe, the more CO2 we pump out, and the less air we actually can use, and it becomes can become a full-blown anxiety attack. So quite often, and, and it makes sense once you understand the physiology, is that you know, the, the brown paper bag that you used to get, or you see you know, TV shows have and movies have, that <sighs> they breathe in and out of the paper bag. What they're actually doing is rebreathing carbon dioxide. So that allows us to get the CO2 levels back up and allows us to actually use the oxygen that we're getting in. And then inverse relationship with that is the respiration rate should start to decrease. Now, it's not a, it's obviously doesn't solve all the problems, but it's just that understanding of shallow, fast breathing increases our sympathetic tone. Our brain becomes more aware of threats. And then it's just a bit of a snowball effect. The more we breathe, the more CO2 we push out. And then the more CO2 we push out, the more breathless we become. So slowing down the exhale or just trying to make sure we can maintain some carbon dioxide in our body uh, allows us to try and control our um, state a little bit better. And then from there, if we do have symptoms of anxiety coming on, we recognise it sooner, we're able to then use our breath to slow the exhale out, exhale down, to then try and mitigate or reduce the likelihood of that turning into a full-on anxiety attack. Yeah. Uh I recognise that sometimes when I'm needing to maybe even this, um, you know, do do a vodcast podcast or mm. um, get up and do a speech in front of a, a group of people, yep. I'll I, I'll recognise. Okay, I'm feeling a little bit nervous here. Um, um, I need to take some, do some breathing, and mm. I use the four and the four and four method. Yep. Um, so just really, it's really simple, um, really quick and easy to do, and mm. um, just concentrate on the breathing. And um, so count uh, count to four as I. Inhale yep. through my nose and um, again hold it for. I usually hold it for one or two seconds and then exhale for 
four seconds as well and, and repeat that four times and mm -hmm. um, it's a really simple method to use to help relax mm. uh, myself and um, then do what I need to do yeah and it's just like like the more you practice it the better you get mm. uh, it's the first time you might try it um, and you know you do you do a controlled inhale or pause and then a controlled exhale and you get nothing out of it you're mm. like oh this is this is yeah. not that what this breathing thing's not working for me I guess it's not for me but it's just like anything. The more you practice it, the better you get. And I would also probably recommend that you, the first time you try and do it, I probably wouldn't do it walking out on stage. I no. do it, you know, do it at home. I like to do a lot of um, CO2 control, control breathing um, in between my sets when I'm lifting or training, because exercise is a stress, just like public speaking is a stress. Mm -hmm. And if you can just practice trying to just control your breathing a little bit better in between your sets or in between those little stressful bouts it's 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 just getting the reps in and just so tell us your method of um that breathing in between a set yeah so i guess it um it all depends on the context of the exercise uh if i'm doing more lifting um the the, the way we breathe for lifting is depending also on the intensity of the or the heavy how heavy the lift is can mean we use different um sort of uh, exercises or, or protocols as well so let's say if i'm doing a normal uh, if i'm like lifting normally which is i always like to lift relatively heavy um i'll do more like a breathe and brace valsalva kind of maneuver which is probably out of the context of today's session but um because i do like a breath hold and brace to try and stabilize my core and my spine um, after that you tend to have a bit of a hit of co2 just from holding your breath so um i'll naturally just like if I'm sitting or if I'm doing a mobility drill or something in between sets, I'll, depending on the intensity, I'll go down. I might go a couple mouth-to-mouth, nose-to-mouth, then nose-to-nose, depending on how fatiguing that set is. If it's just a warm-up set, I generally will try and stay nose-to-nose -nose as much as I can. Um, as the sets become a little bit harder, I might go like nose-to-mouth and then just try and go back to nose-to-nose -nose before I go... Um, and the, the duration, it kind of depends on the intensity. So, But it, it's, at the end of the day, it's just a controlled inhale and a controlled exhale. And the more, I, um, the more intense it is, like the, the more I'll probably do a few more reps. Mm. And that nose to mouth. Now, let's just say if I'm, I'm doing more like a hard aerobic set, like I'm on the rower, I'm doing some, some really hard, short, um, short, hard, intense efforts, I produce... Or we all produce naturally as as humans uh, carbon dioxide when we move is a byproduct of movement. So the harder we move, the more carbon dioxide we produce. So I'm being mindful of just trying to buffer that off, especially if I'm doing intervals. So um, a, a bit of it's called a super ventilation protocol. It's taken. Um, I, I learned this from the guys from Shift Adapt, and um, it's it's a could be three five seven, for example, where you might go three breaths in and out through your mouth really trying to just offset all that excessive amounts of carbon dioxide then you might go five breaths nose to mouth and then seven breaths or the remaining breaths nose to nose mm -hmm. so my goal in between sets is can i get back to a nose to nose breath because if i if i can i know i'm pretty well ready to go into my next interval if i can't it's fine but i know i'm gonna probably be in a bit of a world of hurt in that next interval unless the intensity of that set dictates that I'm at that level anyway yeah yeah I've been playing around you know I'm an avid runner and or well, I like running and <laughs> um playing around with my breath during running yeah and, 
you know, been really conscious of my breathing and, you know, before, you know, kind of reading this, um, James Ness's book and, you know, listening to some other podcasts around breathing, um, hadn't really thought about it at all. And I've always thought about my breath in normal state and, as we've mentioned before, like getting up to do a speech, but um, during my runs hadn't thought too much about it and the mm-hmm. importance of breathing and, um, you know, noticing I was more of a mouth breather during my runs and trying to make this switch to nose to nose, it's, it's really hard. Now, yeah. For anyone out there that does do a bit of running or any, any mm-hmm. exercise like rowing or, or weights, um, you know, Focus on your breathing and, and try and stick to your nose to nose for a while, and then yeah. realize how hard it, it is. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember the first time I did it, so I probably got into a little bit of. I really started getting into a bit of breath stuff around 2017, 2018. I remember the f- clear as day the first time I tried to do some na- nose only running. Um, just went from like our gym down to the uh, the um, lights at uh, near the memorial pool there. So like two hundred meters, two three hundred meters. Yeah. I was I was gasping. I was cooked. Um, but now, like I, I can do. I prefer to do nose only aerobically. Um, and as as things get a little bit more intense, then I go nose to mouth. So um, I can I can happily sit on a rower or, or run and and row relatively, um, relatively hard, and be fine nose only. But that's taken for three four years of of practice. Um, and yeah, you just get you just kind of develop that tolerance to carbon dioxide. For sh- it's it's takes a long time. Yeah, it's simple, but it's not easy. No, and um, and probably a little tip is you, you know, try not to go to the extreme. Like, um, you know, I, I haven't because I've been trying to do my research on it. But mm. you know, if I'm a mouth to mouth, you know, I'm progressing from nose to mouth, mm. um, then nose to nose, rather than going straight to nose to nose because yeah. <laughs> it can be um, a slippery slope if you get it wrong. Yeah, uh, and also it can be pretty disheartening as well because if you're used to running, you know, a certain type of split time yeah, and then you're all of a sudden like, keep your mouth shut, go as hard as you can, you, you might you might do double that, like you, you might really struggle. So it's um, picking a time and a place. And like I used to um, do a lot of work in, in clinics working with a lot of runners and, and a lot of, um, you know, endurance athletes and breathing for them is like every athlete's fundamental, but... F- more so for them because they live in that aerobic world and trying to tell a runner to not run is impossible because they'll just ignore your advice anyway so what i would say is okay we have this issue going on here's some homework if you are going to run you need to keep mouth shut and run as hard and fast as you want with your mouth closed and that's a nice natural self-limiter for them yeah slows them down slows them down (laughs) but you know they learn how to if they stick with it and actually do it Generally, they don't load themselves too much where the injury becomes worse. Also, they actually learn how to develop a bit of CO2. And sometimes it's a little bit of a catalyst for them to say, oh, hang on, like, there's something to this. And then um, it just builds from there. Mm. It's, it's really quite powerful. Okay, so let's talk about um, the benefits of breathing less than more. You know, mm-hmm. we, you've touched on it, um, but, you know, Basically, if we're you know, breathing less, mm. there's science behind that we can live longer. Um, yeah, so just like kind of like anything, we want to we want to live in the Goldilocks zone, I guess. You know, you want to eat just the right amount of food to provide energy for the body. Um, the same thing is for breathing. We want to breathe to our metabolic demands, and what that means is like if you're like, if you're at home just watching a movie, your breath should be quite soft, and should be you shouldn't be able to see it or feel it. Um, it should be really smooth and it's just a cont- continuous breath in and out. 
if we do more work, if we're more physically active, let's say we're a tradesperson in a workshop or we're playing footy, then the breathing required for that is different. But the problem is, and this is the thing that I think we all have an issue with in society, is generally we're all stress heads as much as in layman terms, I call it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, perfect example, you know, go and turn the news on today. It's quite um, stressful just to go through the, the news cycle nowadays. So we're always just in that state of just sympathetic upregulation or just that fight, fight or freeze. It's not to the extreme, but we're always kind of upregulated and frequencies up. So being more conscious of that and just make sure we breathe a little bit slower allows us to get back down to that parasympathetic state. And I think ultimately, like we can all agree that sleeping is probably one of the most important things um, for longevity and, and health regardless of how active you are outside of the outside of your home and outside of sleeping like you you can have people that um may be overweight that sleep don't sleep very poor in mind someone's very active and doesn't sleep very full very, um, very well so slowing down the breath allows us to sleep better fundamentally because we can go into more of that deep rest state and that allows us to repair the body allows us to prepare ourselves for the next day and that's where all all kind of magic happens so fundamentally sleep slowing down your breath as much as you can within reason to what you're doing at that point in time is always going to be ideal um and then just making sure we breathe to our metabolic needs Mm. um and then what about your diaphragm so you know you mentioned the diaphragm before and um, it is important to breathing because it's the muscle that regulates it and um, it's connected to basically everything we do Um, so explain the diaphragm Mm -hmm. um, I guess in a little bit of depth um, for everyone pardon the pun but yeah Uh, so the diaphragm is this muscle that basically it's the only muscle that runs 24 hours a day seven days a week from birth till death it's the it's the one muscle that keeps us alive basically it's um, wired directly to the brain. And, and what happens is it's kind of like this big dome-shaped muscle sits up under our ribs and it kind of splits us in half, really. So the top half of it, we have our lungs and the rest of the spine and the heart and all that sort of stuff. And below it, we have our digestive system and the rest of our internal organs. So as we, as we breathe in, as we inhale, the diaphragm contracts and, and starts to drop or flattens out and it draws the lungs down. Um, and then from there, a couple of things happen on both sides of the diaphragm. So below it, uh, the diaphragm is a part of the thing I call the, what's called the intrinsic core. And that helps us stabilize our spine. So not all core muscles, are, they all help contribute, but the intrinsic core specifically helps us um, transfer the breath into stability for the rest of the body. This diaphragm is directly linked to things like our internal abdominal oblique, um, transverse abdominus, wraps around the back of our body, links into our spine, into our low back, and then into our pelvic floor. And this diaphragm, as it inhales, it allows the intrinsic core to create a little bit of gut pressure, stabilize the spine, and that allows our extremities to have more freedom to do more things. If our diaphragm doesn't drop down all the way, for example, it gets tight like any other muscle, our ability to stabilize our spine is reduced so then we tend to start to take muscles that are mainly used for mobility and power um, in our extremities and we try and either turn them down a little bit so we don't overload ourselves or we tighten things up to try and become a low back Mm -hmm. 
hamstrings are a pretty good example of this. It's not all hamstring tightness is the hamstring's problem. Sometimes it's a low back issue first. So the diaphragm is quite important systematic like across all systems because one fundamentally tries to stabilise the spine. As it goes down, it massages our internal organs, our stomach and the rest of our body, so it helps with digestion. We have um, blood that and, and nerves that go through the diaphragm, so if the diaphragm's tight, it can create um, symptoms of you know, swelling, you know, some maybe some chronic varico varicosities in the, in the lower legs. Um, we have sweaty palms and, and all that sort of stuff. comes from diaphragm dysfunction as well. It can lock up the mid-back, especially between T8, T10, T12. And... Um, it just locks up, you know, the ribs get tight and it affects, affects everything. So the diaphragm and making sure that it, it, it has its full, can go through full range of motion, is soft and pliable and, and is able to draw the lungs down, is able to move the ribs in, in and out in, um, with no obliques and intercostals, allows, um, allows the body to function a lot better um, without too much uh, compensation. Um, and it being directly wired to the brain, it's kind of, you know, they, they say you can't really control your autonomic nervous system, which is how you perceive information and, and your, your sympathetic and parasympathetic states, but your breathing is directly wired to your brain and it controls your parasympathetic and sympathetic states. So if we can control and make sure our diaphragm is functioning well, it allows us to give us a better opportunity to control our state. Yeah. And, you know, to have a... Um a diet like to be able to release the mm. diaphragm as well um, there's a bit of work that needs to go into that and mm. understanding of how um, you can do that yeah and you know if just for me you know we had a good car trip up to Townsville a few weeks ago and we were talking about this um, this subject and the diaphragm and I had a, a little bit of a knee issue at the time and we linked that back to maybe some diaphragm tension and mm -hmm. um, went through a little bit of a release and um, I feel I feel like it has helped um, yeah. you know, some of those areas of mm. concern for me with, with my um, injury but um, I don't think many people unless you, you know, study the you work in the area you're a mm. doctor or you're an exercise phys um, you're an S&C that you really pay too much attention to your diaphragm yeah um, I think it's also to be honest um, still on the edge it's like it's, it's definitely known within I guess traditional medicine, um, especially in, in areas like physiotherapy and EP and, and whatnot, I still feel like it's kind. Of, it's becoming a lot more popular due to um, authors like James and, and a lot of the guys in that field. I still feel that it's kind of still a little bit fringe, though. Um, yeah. There's been a, a lot of good books. One of the books um, that I uh, read years ago was called "Recognizing um, Breathing Disorders" by I think Leon Chatel. I think he's passed away now. So, but he's a uh, a fantastic um, sort of author and specialist within this field and this book that he put together sort of went through a lot of the different type of modalities around looking at diaphragm um, function uh, but I, I still think it's kind of still pretty new mm. really and people might it might find it especially in the clinic I guess like let's say like for yourself you had a bit of a knee thing going on and don't get me wrong you had a sore knee that that's where the pain was but quite often where the pain is and the root cause or some contributing factors that maybe are a bit more important are sometimes in the knee mm. or where the pain is so trying to trick trying to find uh, with a bit of assessment process understanding or what maybe is more of a root causal issue 
and quite fundam fundamentally it's like can you stabilize your spine can you breathe can you keep your eyes and line up the horizon and is is this feeling safe first before we worry about this yeah and um quite yeah quite often it, it seems funny to say well i have knee pain that's linked to my diaphragm well depends on what um avenue you look down everything's linked to everything in the body so i don't think it's um it's like too silly to say that but at the same time understanding how something like our diaphragm can impact our ability to stabilize our low back and then that will if we don't do that well we might change our gait and if you run you might take you know hundreds of thousands of steps across a week depending on how far you run and that slight little change in hip mechanics or or knee mechanics or ankle mechanics or whatnot can create symptoms of pain mm. and you know there's still definitely pain in the knee but is it is the knee sore because the knee's sore or is it the knee sore because you're changing the way you use that leg in reference to something else so yeah very interesting well i find it interesting anyway it's um, a deep rabbit hole yeah, that sure is <laughs> Uh, so, Brayden, let's talk a little bit more about um, yourself, mate, and then your journey through um, the Cutters pathway here and the mm -hmm. roles you've done. Um, also, a bit about integrated bodies um, yep. um, here in Mackay, and then um, you've had your own podcast too. I have, many years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I guess uh, I'll, I'll wind back just a little bit. So, I graduated at Moorabar State High in um, 2008. And I left the left school and completed my trade. So I'm a diesel fitter by trade, and I was out um, out in the mines for a few years. And uh, really, I really did enjoy my trade. And I had the opportunity, thanks to COVID, to go back to it in 2020. Yeah. Um, but it, it just wasn't uh, it just wasn't something that I was deeply passionate about. So um, I've had a few injuries in the past. Um, I had a shoulder rico from football when I was going through my junior years for, for the minors, and then um, and then I had a second shoulder rico many years after that. But uh, going through that experience of um, having an injury, and I I was a pretty capable footballer, um, but that that injury had um, affected my confidence and my ability to get back to where I where I was. It was kind of always this little thorn in my side of like what if kind of thing. Mm. So um, after my second Rico um, in, it was 2013, I had my, my second one. I had three months off work because there's no light duties out west. So um, at that point in time, I thought, well, I might as well start, I might do something. So I started my, um, my Cert 3 and 4 in personal training. And then I, um, throughout my rehab process, I was like, well, I don't really want to have another injury like that again. So I want to be strong and I want to be pretty mobile so I don't pull my shoulders out anymore. I thought weightlifting, you have to, you know, you have to be strong and you have to be flexible to do snatch and clean jerks. So I decided to go down that rabbit hole of, of learning about weightlifting. And throughout that process, um, did a few, uh, did my AWF one and two, ten of the three, but I um, didn't finish that. Um, throughout that process, I, I got a job in town at a local gym. Really started enjoying coaching, and one thing led to another, and. Um, my partner and I, we purchased a business. So um, that business was Adrenaline Rush, which was a kite surfing shop. Um, bit of a <laughs> bit of a tangent, but I also did a lot of kite surfing back then. So we had it. We had the shop, and uh, I had this space in the showgrounds where I stored our our trailer where we would take to the beach. And I thought, well, we've got the space here. I might as well use it to pay for the rent. And I'll start doing weightlifting coaching. So started a little weightlifting thing there, and 
for those two years, it just the gym got bigger, the the shop got bigger, and it just became too much. So we sold um, Adrenaline Rush in um, June 30, 2017, and rebranded to Integrated Bodies. So throughout that period, around end of 2016, 2017, I um, became interest, continually interested in um, learning how the body worked and trying to mitigate injury as much as I could, mm-hmm. especially with some of the people we were coaching. So I decided to do my diploma remedial massage. And um, yeah, as soon as I started that, I, um, I got put on to NeuroConnect therapy, which is um, a manual muscle testing protocol, neuromuscular assessment protocol that really um, helps ask better questions about what's going on. And that process of learning, going through level one, two, and three, and, and the, the massage and whatnot, really helped open my eyes to things like breathing and diaphragm dysfunction and stuff like because the diaphragm is massive and, and KT, it's, it's right up there with a lot of other things that we look at. And um, so that just sort of snowballed on and, and then throughout my, my um, throughout Integrated Bodies' creation and, and um, come to fruition, I guess, we got involved with a lot of schools. We did a lot of work with St. Pat's and Mercy Mackay and, and as well as a lot of other schools and uh, Michael Comerford, which is one of the assistant coaches for the, for the cutters here, um, he was in the gym one day and I said, hey, I, I want to get involved with some more youth sports, so how can I get involved? So he passed my um, number on to Alex Cortez, which was a previous S&C coach here, um, head of performance at the Cutters, and we, we got along really well. So we, um, I started to come down um, to the Cutters and sort of kind of intern a little bit under Alex and just sort of got exposed to the club there. And um, from, from there, like, it, was, it, was a, it was a great sort of two seasons um, I, I learned a lot under Alex and, and being involved with a lot of the coaches here and, and seeing what was involved in a, in a state-level team. And then COVID came. So then that kind of put a put a hamper on things. So I was um, fortunate enough to go back to Brothers um, Rugby League and did um, two seasons. Well, the first season, the 2020 season, was kind of a bit of a hit and miss. We had a really good pre-season and never really got to use it. And then um, Michael... Um, he was a grade coach for brothers, so then we I got involved with brothers again uh, through the A grade SNC, and then yeah, through throughout that process we had a great year, but I just had this bit of a burning desire to get back into with the cutters again and um, sort of be around you know a great like good athletes and a high level of competition and high level of expectation and um, yeah my my process or my experience here has been has been really um, sort of foundational for my own education and also my development as a coach um i am i'm the rehab guy at the moment so i'm kind of bad cop i don't want anybody to be near me i want to have no friends but unfortunately we play contact sports so um well it it, you know injuries happen so um going through the process of helping understand you know well what what's the diagnosis from the physio what are we working with how can we um, still get the guys to maintain some level of conditioning and, and introduce really introduce load back into their um, training program safely yep. getting back onto the field is kind of my role here now and yep. um, return to train yeah and the, the the I guess the skills I've learned over the last few years in the clinic um, as well as in and IB um, and then in here has helped kind of put everything together um, so at IB, we do um, like a long-term athlete development program is primarily our main service. So we help support um, individual um, athletes um, who want to get better at the sport, as well as um, clubs and schools and other organisations that um, may want to do a pre-season block or 
maybe a sports specific block. So we you know we work with uh, St Pat's uh, with their Open Rugby League boys and girls and, and their basketball and whatnot. So. Um, and how many coaches you got down there on the floor? We have uh, there's five, so we got five of us. Um, some so uh, do more than others. Uh, we have probably myself and then two or three other coaches that primarily do a lot of the coaching, and then we also have other support staff around that as well. Um, Georgia, my uh, partner, she is involved in the business as well. So it's it's um it's been an interesting shift over the last couple of years being a owner-operator, do-it-all-yourself um, to being an employer now. Mm. And, it's, um, and it's only really started to sink in over the last sort of 12 to 18 months where it's, um, it's kind of nice to create opportunity. Um, there's one thing I'm quite passionate about is creating opportunity for other coaches to, to thrive in the industry because the S&C industry is pretty tough. It's, we work before and after everybody else and it's, um, it's, it's hard to get a start in the industry. So... We've, um, we do a lot of work. We get a lot of placements come through from CQU and that's quite often how a lot of our coaches get their starters. They go through the, the, their placement and they show they're keen and eager and if we have opportunity for them to do some work, then we send it their way. Yeah, that's great. It's great that we have a, a, a company like Integrated Bodies here in Mackay that's providing opportunities for, for uni um, students here locally. Yeah. Um, they don't have to travel too far for that. Uh, take us a little bit of uh, give us an insight into the pre-season um, this year yep. um, across you know November to now um, mm. yeah, we're in February now it was probably coming out in a few weeks but yeah um, yeah we're about to start playing trial games and yeah what's the pre-season been like uh, I'm sure everybody's like well, at this point in the pre-season uh, it feels long because we're just I'm just keen to watch the boys play a bit of footy um, we had a really, I think we've had a really good um, pre-season uh, given all the COVID restrictions and everything we've had to juggle. Um, every Friday, it seems to rain here. I think it's just a Friday thing. Like every, it's been like last three or four Fridays in a row, it's just rain. So um, just managing the weather and, and whatnot. But I think ultimately it's, you know, I think there's a lot of good energy around the club at the moment. Um, there's some fit guys, um, even like just looking at all their fitness testing. It's quite, uh, I think from where we're at at the moment, it's quite uh, one of the fitter teams I've seen in a long time. And um, I think everyone's really starting to gel. They're starting to do a lot more football and um, and really work on their plays and their shape. And I'm excited to see them play a bit of footy, which is good. Um, we've got a couple of guys that are now out of my rehab crew, which is always good for me, a little bit of a win there. And, and just seeing the guys reintegrate back into full-time training um, with the squad is always good to see. And hopefully get a few more guys back sooner than later. Yeah, definitely. Well, Braden, thanks very much for this chat. It's been um, yeah great. Hopefully people will get something out of it and practice some conscious breathing, which becomes an unconscious habit. Mm. And again, thank you for the role you're playing with the club. You're doing a great job and it's really important. So best of luck with in integrated bodies in the season ahead. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Change the game. Proudly brought to you by the QCCS Mackay Cutters.